the symbol of the circle. Dr. M. L. von Franz has explained the circle or sphere as a symbol of the self. It expresses the totality of the psyche in all its aspects, including the relationship between man and the whole of nature. Whether the symbol of the circle appears in primitive sun worship or modern religion, in myths or in dreams, in the mandalas drawn by Tibetan monks, in the ground plains, plants of cities, or in the spherical concepts of early astronomers, it always points to the single most vital aspect of life, its ultimate wholeness. An Indian creation myth relates that the god Brahma, standing on a huge thousand-petaled lotus, turned his eyes to the four points of the compass. This fourfold survey from the circle of the lotus was a kind of preliminary orientation, an indispensable taking of bearings before he began his work of creation. A similar story is told of Buddha. At the moment of his birth, a lotus flower rose from the earth and he stepped into it to gaze into the ten directions of space. The lotus in this case was eight-rayed, and Buddha also gazed upward and downward, making ten directions. This symbolic gestures of survey was the most concise method of showing that from the moment of his birth the Buddha was a unique personality predestined to receive illumination. His personality and his further existence were given the imprint of wholeness. The spatial orientation performed by Brahma and Buddha may be regarded as symbolic of the human need for psychic orientation. The four functions of consciousness described by Dr. Jung in his chapter, page 61, Thought, Feeling, Intuition and Sensation, equip man to deal with the impressions of the world he receives from within and without. It is by means of these functions that he comprehends and assimilates his experience. It is by means of them that he can respond. Brahma's fourfold survey of the universe symbolizes the necessary integration of these four functions that man must achieve. In art, the circle is often eight-rayed. This, this expresses a reciprocal overlapping of the four functions of consciousness, so that four further intermediate functions come about. For instance, Thoughts colored by feeling or intuition or feeling tending towards sensation. In the visual art of India and the Far East, the four or eight-rayed circle is the usual pattern of the religious images that serve as instruments of meditation. In Tibetan Lemaism, especially, richly figured mandalas play an important part as a rule, these mandalas represent the cosmos in its relation to divine powers. But a great many of the Eastern meditation figures are purely geometrical in design. These are called yantras. Aside from the circle, a very common yantra motif is formed by two interpenetrating triangles, 
one point upward, the other point downward. Traditionally, this shape symbolizes the union of Shiva and Shakti, the male and female divinities, a subject that also appears in sculpture in countless variations. In terms of psychological symbolism, it expresses the union of opposites, the union of the personal temporal world of the ego with the non-personal timeless world of the non-ego. Ultimately, the un this union is the fulfillment and goal of all religions. It is the union of the soul with God. The two interpenetrating triangles have a symbolic meaning similar to that of more common circular mandala. They represent the wholeness of the psyche or self, of which consciousness is just as much a part of the unconscious. In both the triangle yantras and the sculptural representations of the union of Shiva and Shakti, the emphasis lies on a tension between the opposites, hence the marked erotic and emotional character of many of them. This dynamic quality implies a process, the creation or coming into being of wholeness, while the four or eight rate circle represents wholeness as such, as an existing entity. A yantra, a form of mandala, composed of nine linked triangles. The mandala symbolizing wholeness is often connected with exceptional beings of myth or legend. The abstract circle also figures in Zen painting, speaking of a picture entitled The Circle, by the famous Zen priest Sangai, another Zen master writes, In the Zen sect, the circle represents enlightenment. It symbolizes human perfection. Abstract mandalas also appear in European Christian art. Some of the most splendid examples are the rose windows of the cathedrals. These are representations of the self of man, transposed onto the cosmic plane. A cosmic mandala in the shape of a shining white rose was revealed to Dante in a vision. We may regard as mandalas the halos of Christ and the Christian saints in religious paintings. In many cases, the halo of Christ is alone divided into four, a significant allusion to his sufferings as the Son of Man and his death on the cross, and at the same time a symbol of his differentiated wholeness. On the walls of early Romanesque churches, abstract circular figures can sometimes be seen. They may go back to pagan originals. In non-Christian art, such circles are called sun wheels. They appear in rock engravings that date back to the Neolithic epoch before the wheel was invented. As Jung has pointed out, the term sun wheel denotes only the external aspect of the figure. What really mattered at all times was the experience of an archetypal inner image, which Stone Age man rendered in his art and faithfully as he depicted bulls, gazelles or wild horses. Or wild horses. Many pictorial mandalas are to be found in Christian art. For example, the rather rare picture of the Virgin in the center of a circular tree, which is the god symbol of the burning bush, the burning bush. The most widely current mandalas in Christian art 
are those of Christ surrounded by the four evangelists. These go back to the ancient Egyptian representations of the god Horus and his four sons. In architecture, the mandala also plays an important part, but one that often passes unnoticed. It forms, it forms the ground plan, both of secular and sacred buildings in nearly all civilizations. It enters into classical, medieval and even modern town planning. A classical example appears in Plutarch, Plutarch's account of the foundation of Rome. According to Plutarch, Romulus sent four builders from Etturia who instructed him by sacred usages and written rules about all the ceremonies to be observed. Etruria, by the way, not Etturia. In the same way as in the mysteries, first they dug a round pit where the comitum or court of assembly now stands and into this pit they threw symbolic offerings and the fruits of the earth. Then each man took a small piece of earth of the land from which he came and these were all thrown into the pit together. The pit was given, given the name of Mundus, which also meant the cosmos. Round, round it Romulus drew the boundary of the city in a circle with a plough drawn by a bull and a cow. Wherever a gate was planned, the plowshare was taken out, taken out and the plough carried over. The city founded in this solemn ceremony was circular in shape, yet the old and famous description of Rome is Urbs Quadrata, the square city. According to one theory that attempts to reconcile this contradiction, the word quadrata must be understood to mean quadripartit, that is, the circular city was divided into four parts by two main arteries running from north to south and west to east. The point of intersection coincided with the mundus mentioned by Plutarch. Top of page. An example of the mandala in religious architecture, the Angkor Wat Buddhist temple in Cambodia, a square building with entrances at the four corners. Above the ruins of a fortified camp in Denmark, AD 1000, which was laid out in a circle, as is the fortress town upper right of Palmanova, Italy, built in 1593, with its star shaped fortifications. Right, 10 streets meet at L'Etoile. Paris to form a mandala. According to another theory, the contradiction can be understood only as a symbol, namely as a visual representation of the mathematically insoluble problem of the squaring of the circle, which had greatly preoccupied the Greeks and was to play so great part in alchemy, so great a part in alchemy. 
Strangely enough, before describing the circle ceremony of the foundation of the city by Romulus, Plutarch also speaks of Rome as Roma Quadrata, a square city. For him, Rome was both a circle and a square. In each theory, a true mandala is involved. And that links up with Plutarch's statement that the foundation of the city was taught by the, by the Etruscans as in the mysteries as a secret rite. It was more than a mere outward form. By its mandala ground plan, the city with its inhabitants is exalted above the purely secular realm. This is further emphasized by the fact that the city has a center, the mundus, which established the city's relationship to the other realm, the abode of the ancestral spirits. The mundus was covered by a great stone called the soul stone. On certain days the stone was removed, and then it was said the spirits of the dead rose from the shaft. A number of medieval cities were founded on a ground plan of a mandala and were surrounded by approximately circular wall. In such a city, as in Rome, two main arteries divided it into quarters and led to the four gates. The church or cathedral stood at the point of intersection of these arteries. The inspiration of the medieval cities, city with its quarters was the heavenly Jerusalem in the book of Revelations, which had a square ground plan and walls with three times four gates. But Jerusalem had no temple at its center, for God's immediate presence was to cent the center of it. The Mandala ground plan for a city is by no means outmoded. A modern example is the city of Washington, D.C. Whether in classical or in primitive foundations, the Mandala ground plan was never dictated by consideration considerations of aesthetics or economics. It was a transformation of the city into an ordered cosmos, a sacred place bound by its center to the outer world. And this transformation accorded with the vital feelings and needs of religious men. Every building, sacred or secular, that has a mandala ground plan is the projection of an archetypal image from within the human unconscious into the outer world. The city, the fortress, and the temple became symbols of psychic wholeness and in this way exercise a specific influence on the human being who enters or lives in the place. It need hardly be emphasized that even in architecture the projection of the psychic content was a purely unconscious process. Such things cannot be thought up, Dr. Jung has written, but most grow again from the forgotten depths if they are to express the deepest insights of consciousness and the loftiest intuitions of the spirit, thus amalgamating the uniqueness of present-day consciousness with the age-old past of humanity. The central symbol of Christian art is not the mandala but the cross or crucifix. Up to Caroline, Carolingian times, the equilateral or Greek cross was the usual form and therefore the mandala was indirectly implied. 
but in the course of time the center moved upward until the cross took the Latin, the Latin form which with a stake and a cross beam that is customary today. This development is important because it corresponds to the inward development of Christianity up to the High Middle Ages. In simple terms, this, in simple terms it symbolized a tendency to remove the center of man and his faith from the earth and to elevate it into the spiritual sphere. This tendency sprang from the desire to put into action Christ's saying, My kingdom is not of this world. Early life, the world and the body were therefore forces that had to be overcome. Medieval, man, medievals, medieval man's hopes were thus directed to the beyond, for it was only from paradise that the promise of fulfillment beckoned. This endeavor reached its climax in the Middle Ages and in medieval mysticism. The hopes of the beyond found expression not only in the raising of the center of the cross, it can also be seen in the increasing height of the Gothic cathedrals, which seem to set the laws of gravity at defiance. Their cruciform ground plan is that of the elongated Latin cross, though the baptisteries with a font in the center have a true mandala ground plan. With the drawing of the Renaissance, a revolutionary change began to occur in man's conception of the world. The upward movement which reached its climax in the light mi late Middle Ages, went into reverse. Man turned back to the earth. He rediscovered the beauties of nature and the body, began the first circumnavigation of the globe and proved the world to be a sphere. The laws of mechanics and causality became the foundations of science. The world of religious feeling, of the irrational and of mysticism, which had played a so great a part in medieval times, was more and more submerged by the triumphs of logical thought. Similarly, art became more realistic and sensuous. It broke away from the religious subjects of the Middle Ages and embraced the whole visible world. It was overwhelmed by the manifoldness of the earth, by its splendor and horror, and became what Gothic art had been before it, a true symbol of the spirit of the age. Thus, it can hardly be regarded as accidental that a change also came over ecclesiastical building. In contrast to the, in contrast to the soaring Gothic cathedrals, there were more circular ground plans. The circle replaced the Latin cross. This change in form, however, and this is this change in form, however, and this is the important point for the history of symbolism, must be attributed to aesthetic and not to religious causes. That is the only possible explanation for the fact that the center of these round churches, the truly holy place, is empty, and that the altar stands in a recess in a wall away from the center. For that reason, the plan cannot be described as a true mandala. An important exception is St. Peter's in Rome, which was built to the plans of Bremante and Michelangelo. Here the altar stands in the center. One is tempted, however, to attribute this exception to the genius of the architects, 
for great genius is always both of and beyond its time. In spite of the far-reaching changes in art, philosophy and science brought about by the Renaissance, the central symbol of Christianity remained unchanged. Christ was still represented on the Latin cross as he is today. That meant that the center of religious man remained anchored on a higher, more spiritual plane than that of earthly man, who had turned back to nature. Thus a rift arose between man's religion, traditional Christianity and his rational or intellectual mind. Since that time, these two sides of modern man have never been brought together. In the course of the centuries, with man's growing insight into nature and its laws, this division has gradually grown wider, and it, is still, and it still splits the psyche of the Western Christian in the 20th century. Medieval religious architecture was usually based on the shape of the cross left by a 13th century church in Ethiopia cut from the rock. Renaissance religious art shows a reorientation to the earth and the body, right? A plan for a circular church or basilica based on the body's proportion, proportions drawn by the 15th century Italian artist and architect Francesco Di Giorgio. Thank you for listening.